What a day, what a day, what a day. My name is Ryan Hans, and thank you for joining me on this episode of EQ Book Club. I am extremely excited for today's episode because I have had a lot of people ask me questions about this topic, but I want to start off with a little story to contextualize what we are talking about today. When I was in first grade, I went to a camp, a day camp, for a week in the summer, and every morning our parents would drop us off with our hats, sunscreen, and water bottles, and we would load onto a bus that would drive 30 minutes or so to the camp just outside of Dallas. I didn't know anybody, so on that bus ride, I would keep to myself and read a book. I did my best to read this book, even though I didn't really understand what the book was about. I wasn't really sure what was going on the whole time because there was a word in it that I didn't understand, and it was all over this book. The main character of the story was in a comiracle, but I had no idea what a comiracle was. After a few days of reading on the bus, a kid who was a lot older and cooler than I was asked about the book I was reading. I told him what it was, that it was okay, but I didn't really know what was happening. And he asked, well, what is it about? I said, there's this boy who is in a comiracle and... It is talking about what is happening in it. Of course, the older kid was confused and asked if he could see the book to understand what I was talking about. I passed him the book, and after a few moments, he turned back to me and told me the kid is in a commercial. He says, you know what a commercial is, right? He said that. He laughed at me. I was so embarrassed that when I got home that afternoon, I hid that book at the bottom of my closet and never touched it again. Now, I'm telling this story because I want y'all to understand that as minor as that interaction was, it was a traumatic experience for me in that moment. I did everything in my power in school, even throughout college, to get away with not having to read anything out loud or book report type stuff. I was traumatized by that singular moment, and it played out in limiting beliefs around my ability to read and therefore became tangible experiences about my ability to learn. So that trauma is not exactly what society would typically perceive as trauma. I have also had more commonly accepted traumatic experiences like partners abandoning me, sexually traumatic interactions, and witnessing death that have significantly impacted my emotions and internal belief systems. What is important to note, though, is that all of them have had a role in the mental and emotional release work I have had to do. The small things add up just as much as the bigger stuff. I may have had more intense traumatic experiences than you, and it is just as likely that you have had more intense traumatic experiences than me. My point is that every single person has their own brain and perception, and therefore, every single person has had different traumatic experiences. I want you all to know that just because your trauma isn't as intense as the next person's, that does not mean it is invalid or shouldn't be cared for, addressed, and healed. We are all on our own healing journey, and it is not safe to use the excuse of comparing your trauma to others' trauma as a way to rationalize not engaging with it. Healing starts with ownership and acceptance. All right, that's my spiel. Now I get the absolute pleasure of introducing my first in-person guest of the podcast, 
licensed professional counselor and EMDR specialist, Chris Jones. Chris, I'm so happy we are doing this. Well, thank you for inviting me in. Of course. And what a good story. Thank you. Do you think it's uh, accurate? Does it sound relevant? What I love about it is you immediately break apart uh, what the clinical community we call is big T's and little T's and that they're both significant and can have lifelong impact. And so a lot of times when people hear the word trauma, they're thinking of severe sexual assaults or our veterans or our first responders or witnessing a murder, or, you know, some uh, near-death experience in a car wreck. Um, but it's those are absolutely impactful, but not everybody has those. Right. What all of us do have in common are the smaller T's and it can be as simple as to what you describe with the book and so we've got those and then they pile up and then they you know in some way impact us emotionally down the road or have influence on our emotions or influence on our behaviors because in in your story what I'm wondering is was the biggest impact that it prompted you to be less vulnerable like if if I make myself if I expose myself yeah. and if I ask questions, then bad stuff happens. Right. I get shamed for it. <laughs> so screw that. I'm not asking questions down the road because right. it's going to be bad results. Well, which is interesting because if you think about it in the context of that story, I already was at the point where I was scared to ask questions because I had been reading that book for multiple days and having no understanding of what I was reading when... I could have asked somebody what the word commercial was. I'm just glad the end of the story came because <laughs> I was scared to death that you're going to ask me about co-miracles and I was going to have to go, I have no idea. <laughs> so my own anxiety is just slowly rising as the story goes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great example. Again, it's, there's so many little nuances that... We, we trip over and keep moving on, but we're just not fully aware mm-hmm. of what they're doing to us. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can uh, kind of eventually kind of push it out into what term we're hearing more and more within kind of the social justice push of micro traumas. Mm-hmm. And so even still incredibly significant, but seemingly uh, optically smaller are just a glare or a more subtle snide remark or just a turning of a back or a subtle no or rejection and how the ongoing buildup of that is having is doing significant damage to you know a lot of our uh, our peers mm-hmm. um, of color and you know of different race and everything what they endure every day so there's I think it's it's absolutely worth listening to them when they're talking about their experience with it, because it's real. Absolutely. So let's back up a little bit and tell me a little bit more about what is trauma. Like scientifically and socially, there's probably a little bit of a disconnect between the two, the way we talk about trauma and the way the scientific community would suggest what trauma is. Um, you know, what what are the differences there? Yeah, we... Th- tend to think of it, trauma it's how a, a memory uh, gets processed within the brain or how it gets maladaptively processed within the brain. Um, so we know a lot about 
little more definitively how memory gets stored. Uh, and so even as we're sitting here right now, there's memory, there's like however many megabytes of information are supposed to be you know, floating into our heads right now. Only so much we're consciously aware of, but it doesn't mean all the other stuff isn't passing the filter and getting stored. And that happens nonstop from the day. Uh, now they're getting, getting into, you know, even um, um, pre-birth delivery, right. that there's memory being stored. So if we just think of a normal process, 99.9% of the time, um, it's floating in and getting stored, and then it's attaching, uh, one memory attaches itself to a previous like memory. Trauma, I think the best way that I can think of it is much like the circuit breaker at my house. And so if in my house, if one of the rooms gets overloaded, if it experiences one of the plugs, experiences too much uh, of a rush, then my house by design pops the circuit breaker, protecting part of the house so that the rest of the house can continue to function. Mm -hmm. Our brains have a similar design we can handle so much stress, we can handle so much distress, but there can be a moment to where the brain pops and then the way that memory gets stored within the brain, within the body, kind of parts itself out. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily connect. And to step back and make that uh, more clear picture, when we think about how memory gets stored in the brain, we can break it up into three key areas. So... Uh, around the brainstem, everything, even our conversation right now, the brainstem is housing memory about our sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. It's our breathing, it's our heart rate, it's our digestion, it's our fight or flight. Around the center of the brain, around the amygdala and some surrounding areas, all of the memory is being uh, stored that relates to our emotional experience, to all of our sensory experience, sight, sound, touch, sounds. And then in the front part of the brain, around the prefrontal cortex, we're storing memory about our relationship to kind of the context of what's happening. Um, it's time stamping what's going on. It's part of my brain that understands that it's Friday afternoon in, in 2021 and I'm sitting here with you. Mm -hmm. And all of that, when I talk about memory storage, it's at a neurophysiological level. Uh, it's the science of the the chemistry between our ears and it truly is not much different than what's going on in our cell phones and how they store memory right so as a memory occurs it wraps around the brain it breaks itself out into these three key areas in these neuron bundles and then there's this neuron pathway that links it all up so that when we finish today we'll reflect back on this memory and we get this composite experience that you know I can go tell my wife or you can tell your friends later on and except when there's trauma that's the difference uh, so the trauma the circuit breaker is a break between the thinking frontal cortex part of the brain right and the other two it doesn't get wired together so where our house may shut down completely that back bedroom the brain doesn't shut it down it just disconnects it mm -hmm. and it ends up creating or allowing there to be two sort of working memories of the same event, except one part of the brain, that front part, and it's important to remember, is the only part that understands time and space. So, and then the other two do not. 
Right. So for that thing that happened to you when you're a kid on the bus, if you think about the, uh, you know, somebody comes up and says, hey, will you read this aloud in your college class? Right. Part of your brain's going, dude, just get up there and read it. It's college. It's been, you know, what, 15, 16 years. Right. No problem. <laughs> but often what people describe is they get like a cringe moment. Their heart starts racing. Their mind starts racing. They're feeling it physically in their body. Feeling it physically okay. the same as they did as you might have the day on the bus. Right. Because that part of the brain doesn't know that day is not here. this day. It's exactly right. Right. And so it goes, nope, if you get up and you read... <laughs> Bad stuff's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And we experience that all the time with yeah. things that we're doing every day. Consciously, unconsciously. Exactly. And uh, the subtle, I mean, we can all kind of think about maybe when that, that girl told us no that first you know, time we took the risk of asking her out mm -hmm. or a teacher called us out in class and made us write our name on the board uh, or maybe just for appropriate reasons, mom or dad just jumped my butt Right. There's some moments in there that get stored. And mm -hmm. we, they impact us down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I actually remembered something a couple of weeks ago that was similarly traumatic that I had totally forgotten about. But uh, Now, what's awesome, even before you jump into the story, yeah. you started thinking about the story. And you start rubbing your chest. I did, yeah. You can feel it, right? <laughs> you can feel it. You're not it. even talking about it. And you were having the physical reaction to it. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I think, a reason that I decided to always do my best to follow the rules to my the best of my ability. I'm not saying I'm a rule follower in a lot of contexts, but the rules that matter, I would figure them out and follow those so that I could do whatever else. But when I was in second grade, I saw the kid in front of me start the quiz. And because he started... And I knew I was slow at math. I wanted to start so that I would get all the time in that I had. And then suddenly, I'm getting yelled at that we weren't supposed to start yet. And our teacher wrote a big zero oh, on both of our quizzes. Big red zero. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I had no idea that we weren't even supposed to start at that time. And then now I'm listening and I'm waiting and I'm not doing anything until I'm told to. Um, but yeah, I just, that was a silly one that I remembered recently and I'm sure it connected to something else that was actually happening in my life that I realized it was related to but I'll do you remember what that. the feeling was uh, absolute fear absolute fear she yelled at us and I just remember being so scared of making a mistake again that's what it was it was I was thinking about failure mm -hmm. and my realization that that was kind of my first big experience of failure where I got uh, where something bad happened to me after mm -hmm. you know failure doesn't always come with something terrible happening to you after but that was the one where I realized a lot of my fear of failure directly correlates to that moment because as you said you know <clears throat> that first moment your brain doesn't know that time and space so then you are connecting any future failures to that moment. So you kind of have to unravel that moment before you can really unravel the rest of this fear of failure. Um, it can make you risk averse. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm very afraid of taking risks after that. And uh, I've become a lot better at it uh, since I've made these discoveries and been able to work on this stuff. But 
that certainly was, I realized, the kind of the pinnacle moment where this started, this fear started of being able to take risks, like yeah. starting the test early. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, I would you know, take a guess that uh, there's a, a shame feeling that shame. goes with it too. Absolutely. And shames, it's it's a whole other category, which is absolutely fascinating. Is uh, here recently, just I've been getting into more and more research and more and more understanding of it, and truly some of the benefit of it with schooling and throughout the majority of my clinical career. You know, we're taught. You know, if, if you came in and you were describing shame to me, you're describing this before I got into researching trauma and practicing doing trauma work with clients, I would have gone through the little discussion of, you know, shame is bad and uh, guilt is good. You know, guilt is I, I made a mistake and shame is I am a mistake. And I would have tried to talk you through this whole thing. And I wish I could appropriately kind of give credit to a lot of the reading uh, and research that I've been doing, but I'm awful with names. I'll have to follow up. So Same. my no apologies problem. to uh, the people I'm about to hijack your information. The, <laughs> Shame's actually evolutionary. Uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, it's necessary and it's beneficial. And if we stop running from the feeling and engage it, we'll be a lot better off. And so just kind of the quick story of, of how it was described to me, that if we go back to caveman time, if we were kicked out of our tribe, we literally couldn't survive Right. So we were dependent upon our community. So the, the idea is that if we did something and we got called out, uh, we would now have this rush of shame feeling, which would shrink us down, kind of pull us back into the shadows of compliance. So whether or not I agreed with what was going on or not, I had to conform for physical survival. Mm-hmm. And that it just, it's been with us in our DNA ever since. Right. So where like if I, um, with what you're talking about there, if, you know, it, again, if I speak up and I make myself known, man, something bad's going to happen. So I'm just going to stay quiet, be risk averse because I stay safely in the tribe, just fitting right in. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I connect to that a lot. Yeah. I'm yeah. very quiet most of my life because I didn't want to, you know, start the problem yeah yeah i can still remember the the moment uh that similar to that uh, when my anxiety kicked in mm-hmm. it was the first day of seventh grade and so i had my group of buddies that had grown up with and man we finished the sixth grade year everybody's rock and roll everybody's doing good we're all pals and at sixth grade nobody cared what you were wearing you could still wear you know shorts and boots and nobody right would give you a hard time and if you wore the same soccer jersey four days in a row nobody said anything right and if your hair is all matted up nobody cared there was enough maturing for everybody it seems but me over the summer <laughs> that i roll in first day of seventh grade i've got my wrangler boot cut jeans on and tennis shoes and uh, my buddy walks up to me and he goes, Jones, he goes, nobody's wearing boot cut jeans anymore. And my mind just explodes and so I start looking around and I'm noticing that there's more conformity 
to what right. everybody's wearing. Everybody's doing OPs and straight leg jeans and these white shoes. And I'm not that. And so there's this thought that goes through my head of the world's evolved and I didn't stay caught up. And so I'm now a step behind. I don't know what's going on. So I need to start paying more attention to everything outside of me and quit listening to my own gut instinct because I can't trust it. Right. So I became real socially anxious yeah. from there is moving that, on. Is that what anxiety is? Is that that lack of trust in the self, in the instinct, in the in the gut? I think that is certainly a really good way of looking at it. That's really cool. I really like that. Yeah. So unfortunately, I figured it out in my 40s. And once I figured it out, kind of like you, that moment, once I could tackle it and understand it and explore it, anxiety calm down and I can do more comfortable things like podcasts now. Absolutely. (laughs) And here we are and we're killing it. Um, So cool. So we've gotten into scientifically what trauma looks like. How does that differ from the societal view? I mean, we touched on that in the story earlier and kind of what we've been talking about right now, but what does society need to understand more about trauma? to be more empathetic to our daily trauma and the more intense trauma? That because it's stored in our bodies and in our brains at a neurophysiological level, odds are it's not going to be something that you can talk yourself out of. Yes. So even for the individual that's completely committed to addressing a past abuse mm-hmm. they can talk it to death and they may find there's just little to no impact which becomes further frustrating further demoralizing and can just push them further in you know, to the negative symptoms mm-hmm. of it all mm-hmm. so what's important is with really within the last 30 years or so and it's rapidly evolving now that we've got all these other ways to to help the brain rewire itself right to in my mind uh kind of bluetooth pair those two parts of the brain that are broken apart wiring them literally wiring them back together creating Mm -hmm. that neuron pathway Mm -hmm. because once those two go together then it becomes a past memory in full right and then you're able to engage with it more appropriately absolutely yeah Absolutely. I would say another good example of kind of thinking about it, if I continue to use my phone, I may be a little off on my phone science here, so bear with me, but (laughs) go with the example, that if I can look at the apps on my phone and that Mm. they're there in the background, they're ready for use, and they're sort of on the shelf. They're not impacting anything that's going on during my regular interface of the phone. It's not impacting my battery to have them there. But if I do this little swipe up thing, Right. Then there's all these apps that I've used in the past week or month, depending upon the last time I went through and cleared it, that are there. And at some level, they're not exactly live, but they're also not exactly closed out. Mm-hmm. They're somewhere in between. And it's my understanding they can impact what's going on with my battery. Sure. Yeah. Um, they can still potentially glitch some of what I'm doing. Yeah, they're still using your battery, your location. They're they're using all these different parts of your phone or your brain, right. as you're saying. Yeah, and they're one step out of consciousness because right. I've got to go search for them, and then I'll find stuff like I haven't 
used my calculator in six months, but that thing's sitting there, <laughs> still, right? up. It's still up and running. So it's, it's so there, it's one step out of consciousness. And so we can think of, I think the perfect examples you've given or any of the other traumas, they may not always be at the forefront of our thought. Mm-hmm. They're one step off and they're sucking down our battery. They are right. prompting us to react to certain emotions. They're causing us to react to certain behaviors they're taking a toll on us physically because if we get enough of them stored up then we get into insulin levels and cortisol levels and how it starts impacting our immune system and slowly dragging us down right sleep appetite headaches literally everything that you're dealing with i mean just your mental broadband your mental bandwidth that you have to be able to function every day those traumas are there then you don't have that full use of what your brain could be or it's real short-lived right and so we can charge our phone up to full capacity and as soon as we unplug it we can almost just watch the number drop yeah well if we can go through and you know i'm sure we'll get into the conversation about how we do all that but go through and swipe those out and close Mm -hmm. them out so they're truly in the background battery sustains itself yeah well let's get in let's get straight into it how might we engage in releasing trauma there's a number of different ways out there what i utilize is what's called emdr Mm -hmm. Uh, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing it's been around about 30 years Um, it was started by a brilliant woman named francine shapiro down at the university of texas her and her team were doing research on Uh, dreams, trauma, PTSD, and they were doing all this under uh, like MRIs and spec scans. So they were watching what was going on within the brain, um, say during uh, during a flashback or Mm -hmm. during a nightmare and Mm -hmm. made the decision to push kind of the field of counseling forward into a science direction to where it's not just all talk therapy. Let's get into the science of what, what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. But moving it all forward, what they've done with EMDR is, uh, and from all that original research and from the years of it evolving, is using what they'll more officially now called bilateral stimulation. But for the sake of discussion, we'll just call it eye movements. There's some other choices beyond eye movements now. But it's being able to basically have someone that suffered trauma have a foot in the past in the trauma but now also kind of keep them engaged in the in the present right using eye movements a certain protocol that goes along with it that helps create that neuron pathway between those two disconnected parts Mm -hmm. of the brain it's i'd often try it's sort of a stupidly simple process right tons of complex science absolutely behind it the important thing being is people that have struggled for years um, or are currently struggling even recently with traumas can get often pretty rapid relief yeah i as someone who has been a part of the process before i have seen that i was able to heal a very specific trauma that had been harming me for a while in a lot of my relationships within two hour long sessions. And it's pretty amazing because it is, it does seem so simple, but it is complex in what's actually happening. The connection 
between mind and body and the different parts of the brain that aren't easily accessible except when, say, you're in a dream state where you can't necessarily control. You're, you're not in, as you said, one foot in, one foot, like one foot back and one foot in the present. In that state, you're completely in that unconscious mind and you're not able to connect to that conscious mind, you know, unless you've done other work around that where you can do dream tending and that kind of jazz. Right. So, cause we could get into even building off your original story that if your commercial statement, if, if it's a feeling of shame, that's there, if it's, um, I, you know, if that belief is, you know, I can't speak up or I can't ask a question. If, if that little theme is there and you've got all these years later, you know, we, with EMDR would go back in, really take the exact story that you gave, ask a couple of questions to get the brain lit up, to get blood flow going in those three areas that I mm-hmm. mentioned, the prefrontal cortex around the amygdala and the brainstem, get them lit up and then do these eye movements that link it all together. Mm-hmm. So that foot in the past would be there, but it would allow that prefrontal cortex to engage in, now I'm 20 something now, I've got hundreds of successful experiences that I can call upon to where right. I ask questions and nothing came of it. And once it links up, then the brain can sigh and go, okay, I can let that one go. You're yeah, right. here's the relief. You're right. You're right. I'm okay. It's okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I'm a much different person now. Yeah. And it's funny because we can get there consciously. We can get to that point where we say, you know, I've been successful, you know, if if my fear is failure, then I can get to the point where I'm saying, you know, I've been successful at X, Y, and Z. But if that unconscious brain doesn't fully believe that, which is where that disconnect is, where that, that traumatic disconnect is, then you're not, the whole you is not engaging in that being accurate. You're still, part of you is believing that you cannot be successful because part of your brain doesn't fully believe that you have been successful in the past because it's stopped at those moments where you did fail and then you've got cognitive dissonance and there's just a complete separation from what is true and what is true for one part of your brain and what is true for another part of your brain. I wouldn't say what is completely true because that can be shifted as <laughs> we can see. <laughs> right. And you're, yeah, you're exactly right in, in that, a description of all that and um, I think that's what can be frustrating so even if you had come to see me 10 years ago and we're describing this inability to be able to stand up and read in front of class mm-hmm. I would have started talking about coping skills with you and that really kind of becomes a big break between those of us that approach situations from a traumatic perspective with some uh, trauma-based techniques versus more traditional talk therapy and I'm not at all um, speaking poorly of talk therapy it's an important aspect of all that I still do absolutely but we've got this other accessory that we can use so if if I'd seen you 10 years ago we have talked about coping skills and maybe I would have walked you through anxiety reduction breathing and making sure you're completely prepared to speak in front of the class and you'd pre-read everything Mm -hmm. and think positive images and do this whole thing so that maybe we could take, you know, a 10% edge off of the discomfort so that you could go cope with this necessary life skill. Uh, With 
these newer trauma-based approaches, we never talk about coping skills because once that the wiring is fixed, then that, that angst simply does not exist. It'd be Ryan, come up here and you know, read this aloud in class. And there's nothing, there's no barrier to it. Right, I just walk the, up. You just walk up and you do it. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly it's not, uh, you have to throw out the disclaimer. It's not 100% of the time. There's of no course. guarantees on it all, yeah. right? But even with when I've worked with some of just truly horrific, severe traumas in the past, people can get immediate relief from it at times. And I will say that it's, you know, it's very possible that it doesn't work because you're lying to yourself still in the process or not fully engaging with it at the level that needs to be. Um, You know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that uh, as someone who has done trauma-based therapy before, there are things that I had to engage with that not necessarily I had to tell the therapist, but I had to make the conscious choice to engage with uh, to get to the next step or to say, yes, this is how I'm feeling now. Right. Because part of what can happen there is the original trauma can make us phobic of certain feelings or Mm -hmm. phobic of certain experiences. And so I could challenge you like, all right, Ryan, let's go back and talk about certain things. But if you're so phobic of that emotion of shame you don't want to even talk about it. And so exactly. you'll take a wide berth to have any conversation mm-hmm. for weeks, months, years with me before you're willing to go there. And that's completely okay. I mean, yeah, because I could dig on it and really force you. If I, I could pick and maybe find it and force you into it mm-hmm. and potentially do more damage. So we've still got to do it within your threshold. Yeah. And that is within that trauma based approach the good clinician is always incredibly mindful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that also, as we talked about, you know, just talk-based therapy versus trauma therapy, that there is nothing wrong with doing either or both. Me personally, I have bounced back and forth between them. I use talk-based therapy to get, or, you know, coaching. The, the coaching that I do as well is kind of for the same point of getting to those points where you understand more about yourself and your experiences so that you can engage with them in a new way and then say, all right, you know, this thing is more than I thought it was. And maybe now it's time to do some trauma therapy or something. And then you do that, you let, you know, you release that. And then you say, all right, what's next? And you go back to talk-based therapy or coaching or whatever it is and, or you don't. And, and, you're feeling good for a while. so. And, and here's what I love about what it is that you're doing, because it certainly ties into everything that, that I do and what you're doing is an absolute necessity. Because also when we're talking about trauma, we were talking about more simplistically these singular big T's or little T's. Right. There's also a whole other division called, um, we call this complex trauma. Mm-hmm. And that may be if you grew up in, say, a, a chaotic environment to where maybe a parent had substance abuse issues or um, there was domestic violence or other mental health issues or maybe even just chronic illness within the family, anything that kind of disrupts what we might call kind of that normal to where emotions are all over the place and behaviors within the home. So that meaning complex that the trauma was all day, every day for years and years. Well, in that instance, there are certain skill sets that you're just not, odds are you're not going to be fully 
receiving your own emotional understanding because maybe you've had become hyper vigilant to kind of mom's rages and so anything that's going on with me is set aside and I'm having to watch her because her stuff is way more important because it's going to dictate what's happening Mm -hmm. ultimately with me. Mm -hmm. And that's a skill to have to learn my own stuff. But if it doesn't ever happen, I'm going to go into my adulthood, always being more attentive and kind of just getting feedback from the people around me and never really listening to myself. Mm -hmm. I can fix some of those moments, you know, fix if you see my air quotes here, I can help you navigate that within the clinical setting uh, from a clinical trauma approach, but I can't install all those skills that weren't there. And that's where talk therapy and the coaching um, and everything as I was looking through your book is so important because now it's focusing on what's mine, what's mine separate from what is theirs. Mm -hmm. And that has to happen. And uh, often that has to happen on the front end before I can even get because I've got to have a landing pad. I can get rid of mom's half of your story. Right. But if you don't have your own story, you're going to come out probably more frustrated mm-hmm. and more lost and more depressed. Yeah. So I would want to have somebody working with you or doing something similar so that they know who they are. Mm-hmm. And then when they're noticing, okay, I'm trying to be me, I know me, but I keep tripping over these moments, right. then I can come in and work with those trips. Right. Collaboration. I love it. (laughs) I have a few questions from listeners. I think we have hit most of them, but I have some people who are curious. When do people need to look for help relating to past trauma? I like how it was put to me early on in my career. And it's the phrase, whenever the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, then change will happen. Absolutely. <laughs> is that it? Is that answer? <laughs> it It is an answer. I would love to add that you could also just start doing the change because then you don't have to go through as much of the pain of staying the same. Because if you're ahead of that change, you know, as you're saying, if the pain of, of staying the same is greater than the pain greater of change, than the pain of change, then you're going to choose change. But if you are having pain, period, then change is going to be best because there is if you are having pain, there is something to change. And so I think the answer to the question is as soon as you can, as as soon as you maybe I was going to say are ready, but I don't think it's when you're ready. When you're ready is that's the point that we're talking about of when you have to. Right, we're talking about kind of the obvious ones there. Yeah. And so if I'm having a flashback or if I'm having nightmares or uh, if my anxiety is crippling to where I can't do a job interview mm-hmm. uh, or I can't go ask someone out on a date or right. I can't have a conversation with mom or dad, or those are the more obvious ones. Right. I think on the, the other side that's equally as important, it would... It would be, uh, to use the example, somebody comes into the office and say, hey, Ryan, you know, how's it going? It's, it's all fine. You know, I've works good, no arguments, you know, with my girlfriend. She and I are getting along, and it's pretty peaceful in the evening. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going on those dates like you suggested we should do each week. All right, that's all good. So you're telling me that nothing's wrong. But just because you're telling me nothing's wrong, 
it doesn't mean that everything's right. Absolutely. So why aren't you engaging her and getting creating more connection within that relationship? Why aren't you going to that next level and having some of those deeper, authentic conversations? That may just be something that accumulated over time, or there's some little things in the past that are blocking you or suggesting that it's not safe to open your heart up to her. Absolutely. So that awareness, the emotional intelligence, especially with the self of, all right, here's, here's how I'm feeling. And if it is, if it is that same, whether that same is bad or just okay, if it's not great, then there's room. Absolutely. There's room to work. Absolutely. Yeah. That's my answer. So (laughs) go with it. It works. (laughs) Um, So connection. So again, it's, we can think of it as complex as everything from flashbacks to I just don't feel connected to my wife or to my husband or to my significant other. There's a block there. Mm-hmm. Address it. Yeah. Cause life or to is yourself. awesome when you can get into that space. Absolutely. And you know, to yourself, that connection, if you don't, whether it's with somebody else or yourself, there's still, when you have that full connection with the self, you are on cloud nine and you're you're always happy for you and then you can also be happy within these other relationships where there might be more blockage to work on but you can at least start there you bring up a a, kind of a cool bridge to the pandemic yeah the the counseling business is booming right now i'm sure Uh, unfortunately i'm not saying that you know dismissively but what it's highlighted is how many of us are incapable of sitting in an isolated space in our own heads and in our own bodies. Absolutely. There's another indicator. If I can't do that, if I can't sit in my living room with no electronics, no phone, no food, no food, just sit quietly for a few minutes, even no working out, no working out, just in a state of you know, situational rest right, and can't do it because my mind just takes off on me and takes me to dark places, mm-hmm. there's a good reason to go. Absolutely. Looking. It was amazing how many people that I talked to at the beginning of the pandemic that were having trouble with being able to just be alone and be with themselves. Um, and a lot of those people I've heard are doing a lot better with it now which is awesome a lot of people are doing the work but as i've been saying you know more on the instagram i don't think i've said it on the podcast i might have but my brain me personally my brain is a very fun place to be <laughs> <laughs> and it's because i've it done should this be, work for all of us exactly and we should be completely entertained by our thoughts it is so f- i am so happy to sit and do nothing taking a shower is the best thing in the world because i just get to be with my brain and see what's up How's it going in there? And it's always interesting, you know, when when you've done that work to get to be able to step away from those darker places. You know, I'm I don't want people to think that I haven't been there. I was depressed, clinically depressed for, you know, on meds all of high school and most of college. I stopped taking the meds, but I was still very depressed. But once I started doing this work, it became so much clearer that there was a light at that the end of the tunnel. And now that light is just 
what I am and I feel it and I experience it every day. And I guess my point was that this is the coaching that I do is helping you get to the place where your brain is a fun place to be just like mine. Cause that's what I want for everybody. It is so nice when you can just exist with yourself. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit painful at times to get there. Absolutely. And- but it's not more painful than the extended being in that dark place. Yeah, you can dye a thousand paper cuts every day <laughs> exactly. or just navigate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's at, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of these, again, air quotes, kind of these healthy habits we had in place of working out and spending time with friends and dog walks and shopping, that when we couldn't do them, we realized they weren't exactly as healthy as what we thought that they were just kind of masking they're just our inability yeah to sit quietly mm-hmm. and as a runner i think we've got to be able to stay in our own heads so i'm pretty i'm kind of critical and snobbish a little bit of my fellow runners like <laughs> if you go out and do a run take the headset off man i say that all the time get lost in that trip man it's a wild yeah. ride for you know 30 minutes or four hours or however long you're running absolutely i the best experiences are when I go and bike without my headphones because you know on a really good day I'm really excited about something I'll throw my headphones in and I'll sing while I'm biking but well sure and we got to be able to do that at times just to have fun yeah but that experience that you have when your physical body is being pushed to the limit and all you've got left is your brain and you don't have something distracting you that's when you really learn a lot about yourself or what's going on in your present or kind of get those ideas flowing or whatever it is that your brain wants to give to you or tell you so that you can take the next step with whatever it is in your life. And you can become less phobic of your body. Mm -hmm. You can listen to your heart rate. Yeah. Uh, You can kind of feel the cadence of the pedals Mm -hmm. and everything that's going on. Just your breathing, you can attend to it and you get a full body full mind experience oh man i can run so much farther without headphones because i can like actually pay attention to the fact that i wasn't breathing when i was rocking out (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we get grounded to this beautiful world around us you can hear the birds and watch the squirrels and there's there's a lot of sounds just the air moving past your own breathing Mm -hmm. it's fantastic it is man well chris this has been fantastic as well and i'm so glad that this was the first in-person episode because this was absolutely fantastic who knows when i'll do another one and i'm okay with that but you know until then three book recommendations oh i dreaded this one because i've heard it on the when i've been following you along i knew this was coming (laughs) Uh, i actually don't read a whole lot right um i'll do some audiobooks or I'll, I do a lot of journal articles mm-hmm. um, we'll pitch those currently um, I'm continuing to enjoy my Jordan Peterson one of my best friends is a big Jordan Peterson fan as well and updates me regularly on uh, his information he's a very interesting guy uh, I've just finished reading uh, white fragility yeah which challenging a lot of different levels and i'm sure somewhere along the way one of your podcasts will explore all that Mm -hmm. but for us white men go ahead and embrace it yeah and challenge yourself to get all the way through it Mm -hmm. 
And then, so I was fearful of the question, but I haven't fully thought through the question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have also been more recently doing is just some deeper dive studies into the craft of working with trauma. Mm -hmm. So I would say whatever your interest is, see if you can go further into the niche of just exploring it and understanding it Mm -hmm. uh, and interacting with it, having fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that, and it kind of connects to all the stuff we've been talking about today, I'll just throw in the third thing, which is breaking the habit of being yourself. I've pitched it on a couple episodes now, and three other people have pitched it, and I am not going to stop because it's good, and it's uh, all about that connection and the science behind how your brain and your unconscious and conscious brain connects together and energy in the actual physical form, not the voodoo holistic form, but how that connects to the spiritual and the voodoo and the holistic form of energy as well. So that's still one of my favorite books. I think you're selling me on it. Yeah. Put that on the list. It's a great one. Um, Sadly, no audiobook. I would have liked it as an oh, audiobook, but yeah. Well, if you're a really good friend, you'll read it aloud and record I will. it for me. And I will, I'll actually. <laughs> I've been thinking about doing that, you know. So, uh, listeners, if you need me to record a book for you, I, you know, just a thousand up front and I got you. No problem. I'll, I'll read a book out loud. <laughs> I got past that fear. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's, we're desensitizing you. Here we are. Now we can do it. All right. Uh, You can find that suggestion, prior episode recommendations, and a list of five-star favorites at bookshop.org slash shop slash EQ. Please use this link to support the podcast and shop local. If you are ready to engage with and heal your trauma but aren't sure where to go next, reach out anytime via my website or just messaging me on my at EQ book club account on Instagram. I will happily do my best to be a resource and point you towards resources that will be beneficial for you. Everyone has trauma. As we've been saying, share this with someone you think would be interested in learning more. Follow and message me on social media on the at EQ book club account. If you have any feedback or questions about what we were talking about today, uh, or you just want to share a story, I'm happy and open to hearing it. I love feedback, positive or negative. So bring it all. This is also where you can find a bunch of relevant links to the book recommendations, episode updates, and quotes that I find interesting from these episodes. It's a great day for a day of healing, y'all. I love you. Goodbye.